All right, we're going to be in Judges chapter 17 this morning. Uh, Judges chapter 17. This coming uh, Thursday, uh, starting at 6 o'clock, we're going to have our annual Christmas decorating activity. Uh, and everybody's invited. Uh, this is a big place, as you can imagine, and we decorate the auditorium and the lobby and, and so on and so forth. So if you can come and help at any point, if you can give a half an hour or an hour, uh, we'll probably be here for a couple hours at least. Uh, and uh, many hands make light work. We generally have some some apple cider and, and Christmas cookies, and we have Christmas music playing, uh, you know, setting the tone and all that kind of stuff. And uh, so uh, if you can help us out this coming Thursday night, uh, we would appreciate that. That would be a great blessing and a help to us. Uh, did you find Judges 17? We've been studying the, the book of Judges. Actually, what if you've been in our class uh, for any length of time, we started in the book of Genesis, and we're just teaching through verse by verse of the Bible. And so we're, we're coming into the, some of the final chapters of the book of Judges. Uh, we know the history of this book. Uh, God's people had the land given to them. They, they conquered it in the days of Joshua. And uh, they settled in, and for the first time in their lives, uh, they had homes to live in. They had property that they owned. They had crops that they were bringing in. Uh, and uh, they were no longer wandering, living in tents, eating manna or anything like that. They were seeing the fullness uh, of God's blessings and, and the fulfillment of God's promises to them. Um, and the generation of Joshua, they understood where they'd been and what God had done for them. And they appreciated that. They stayed right with God. But the Bible says in the early chapters of Judges that after that generation died off, there arose a generation which knew not the Lord, said that they didn't know the wars of Canaan. Um, we don't like struggle in our lives. Is there anybody here that likes it? You, you, you like trials? You like problems? Anybody that likes it? We don't. We, we flee them, we avoid them as much, we can, as much as we can, but the reality is our trials help us to grow in grace more, more than the blessings do. Uh, we get closer to God during the hard times than we do during the good times, and that is somewhat of a sad commentary, but it's very true. Uh, our trials are how God refines us. Uh, it, it's how God uh, becomes real to us. Um, I've often said we, we look at the miracles in the Bible, the, the crossing of the Red Sea, the walls of Jericho coming down. Joshua's generation saw all of those things. They saw manna every single morning uh, for over uh, 40 years. Their clothes never wore out. Their shoes never wore out. Um, they saw amazing things from God. But you understand that they were people that entire time. They were in a wilderness. Uh, they were in a hard place. They were in a difficult place. Almost all the miracles in the Bible, uh, is, is, uh, they came about because somebody was in crisis. And that's what miracles are. They are God's response to our problems. And uh, so, so those wars of Canaan, as, as difficult as they were, uh, that generation learned how to trust God and believe God and go out and, and, and endure, if you will, hardness. But there arose a generation that had everything handed to them. They didn't, they didn't know what it was like uh, to trust God for your, uh, your manna every single morning. And they didn't see the walls of Jericho come down. They didn't see the, the Jordan River parted. And uh, God was just a story to them. And uh, God was just a name that they heard about. But they, for some reason, the parents did not transfer their faith uh, in an active way. And that generation, they replaced 
Jehovah God with the gods of the Canaanites that were left in the land. And they began worshiping Baal and Ashtaroth and so forth. And because of that, God said, okay, it's time that you found out who God is. And God let captivity come to them, whether it was the Midianites or the Ammonites, the Philistines and so forth. Sometimes they'd be in captivity for several years, seven years. Uh, and they'd say, boy, the, you know, God's teaching us a lesson and we need to, we need to get right with God. And uh, then that time seemed to spread out to sometimes 40 years would go by in captivity before they'd finally say, uh, okay, God, we need you. Um, in some ways, I'm, I'm teaching to the generation of Joshua in this classroom. Uh, there are people here uh, that remember what it was like to get a hold of God and beg God to keep this church going. Um, and, and you knew what it was to sacrifice, and you knew what it was to ask God for a miracle, and you saw God supply and provide and pour out his grace and his mercy and his kindness. But there's a whole generation that, that doesn't know that. Uh, they have no idea about that, and uh, it's, it's one of the things we have to constantly remind that generation of that uh, there, there was a battle fought, uh, spiritual warfare to keep God's house open and going and going forward, and they need to, they need to pick up their armor and their shields and, and all the rest of it and go to war for God, amen? Uh, that's what the book of Judges was about. They'd go into captivity, they'd get tired of it, they'd cry unto God and repent. God would be merciful and send a judge, a, a, usually a military leader, uh, who would deliver them from their enemies and during his lifetime, uh, he, would, uh, he would guide them and keep them right with God. But when he died, they just went back to their old ways uh, over and over and over again. So we've, we followed the judges all the way from the first one, Othniel, to the last one, and that was Samson. We enter chapter 17, and uh, the, the, the book changes a little bit. We're not going to read about any judges that came along. Uh, we're going to read about a dark time that, that God singles out of, of all of the, the book of Judges to describe for us just, just how low God's people sank during those days. Uh, we're not exactly sure uh, when the events of chapter 17 through 21 uh, occurred. They might have been early. They might have been in the middle. They might have been in the latter days of the rules of the judges. That was a 450-year time period. Uh, but what we're about to read to us doesn't make a lot of sense. To us, we look at it and say, how in the world could that be? But it's in the Bible for our admonition uh, because the truth is we, we make many of the same mistakes that these people made. And so we're going to learn a, a, about a man named Micah uh, in chapter 17, and we'll, we'll see him uh, uh, for a couple of chapters. Look at verse 1. There was a man of Mount Ephraim whose name was Micah. Mount Ephraim was where Joshua had an inheritance, um, and uh, so this, this man grew up in a, in a good place at, at one time, uh, this man named Micah. And he said unto his mother, the 1,100 shekels of silver that were taken from thee, about which thou cursest, and spakest of also in mine ears. So she had been robbed uh, of 1,100 shekels of silver. That, that's a lot of money. Uh, it had been stolen. Um, she was uh, obviously angry about it, and she cursed. It, it, it may be that, like, when we consider cursing and swearing, but more likely she was calling down a curse upon whoever took it. 
You know, I pray that his eyes fall out. I, you know, I, you know, I pray that his feet, you know, fall off, that, you know, that God makes him miserable. It, it was probably something more like that. Um, and this young man heard it. Uh, this young man, Micah, he said, uh, again, verse 2, Behold, the silver is with me. I took it. So here's a young man who stole from his mother, stole a lot from her. And uh, it might have been that, that Micah heard the curses she was calling down and the things she was asking God to do to whoever uh, sold it. And maybe the fear of God stepped into him. Uh, maybe a guilty conscience overtook him and he thought, man, that's my mother and I stole from her and so forth. And, and so he confesses, I took it. And his mother said, blessed be thou of the Lord, my son. Uh, is that what you would have said to your kid? <laughs> Um, I'm having a feeling that we would have something else to say to him. Blessed be thou of the Lord, my son. And when he had restored the 1,100 shekels of silver to his mother, so he, he confessed his, his fault, gave her the money back, and notice, notice the mother's response. His mother said, I had wholly dedicated the silver unto the Lord. Notice Lord is in all capital letters. If you understand the, the King James Bible, the names of God, particularly in the Old Testament, um, sometimes it's a capital L and all the, the O-R-D are smaller case. Sometimes it's capital G, capital O, capital D. Uh, sometimes it's Lord God in combinations of capital lowercase levels. Um, that's to help us understand exactly which Hebrew rendering of the name of God it came from. When you see uh, Lord in all capital letters, that means Jehovah, the, the self-existent one, the eternal one, uh, if you will. She said, I had wholly dedicated the silver unto the Lord. Now, she had stopped there. We'd have, we would have admired this lady because she had just said, I am, I've got this 1,100 shekels of silver and I want God to have it. But there's no period after the word Lord is there. Okay, let's, let's finish her statement. Um, she said, I had wholly dedicated the silver unto the Lord from my hand for my son. I, I wanted you to have it. I wanted it to be a blessing to you. Uh, but it doesn't end there. To make a graven image and a molten image. Do you see what she's saying? I had dedicated it unto Jehovah so that we could make some idols. Um, in the Ten Commandments, uh, uh, thou shalt make no graven images unto, unto thee, not to bow down to them, so on and so forth. Here's a woman claiming I dedicated it to the Lord, to Jehovah, so we can make some idols. That doesn't make a lot of sense, does it? Um, but if you, if you read, how many are reading uh, uh, the Bible reading schedule that, that we handed out last January? How many are doing that? Uh, we're in the book of Ezekiel right now. And the, the prophets Jeremiah and Ezekiel often lamented uh, how the people of Israel, uh, on, on one hand, they claimed that they, they were God's people and the temple is a holy place. And they would go to the temple and offer things there. And then they'd go home and they'd, they'd uh, go up on the rooftop and they'd offer incense to uh, various gods and goddesses. They'd get up and worship the sun in the morning uh, on every street corner where we have street signs. 
uh, to tell you where, it's, where you're at. They would also have little altars to idols of all kinds. Every street corner in Jerusalem, the holy city, was, was filled with it, yet they still claimed we're worshiping God. Uh, turn with me to Jeremiah chapter 7. Jeremiah chapter 7. And let me see where I want you to be. Um, Verse number 8. This is a sermon that Jeremiah preached to the people of Jerusalem. Behold, ye trust in lying words that that cannot profit. If you know Jeremiah, the lying words were God doesn't care how we live. Uh, Judgment's not going to come. Because we're God's chosen people, Babylon will never overthrow us. Those were the lying words these people were giving heed to from false prophets. Will ye steal, uh, steal, murder, and commit adultery, and swear falsely, and burn incense unto Baal, and walk after other gods whom ye know not, and come and stand before me in this house which is called by my name, and say, we are delivered to do all these abominations. He said, so you're going to do all this wickedness and then you're going to show up in my house and say, I'm okay with it. In the Bible, in the book of Genesis, we learned that God made man in his own image. Ever since the Garden of Eden, man has been trying to make God in his own image. And uh, if if you study ancient Greece and their pantheon of gods and goddesses, they were filled with all kinds of vice and stuff like that, uh, that everyday human beings deal with. They were, they were lustful. They were, they were deceitful. They were all kinds of wicked things. Uh, and, And the Greeks fashioned these false gods and goddesses after themselves, because if it's okay for the gods and goddesses to do those things, it's okay for me too. Jeremiah said, you're trusting in lying words, thinking that you can live like that out there, then walk into God's house and say, God's okay with you. Look, if you would, to the book of Ezekiel chapter 14. Ezekiel chapter 14. And verse number one, Ezekiel was a a prophet to the uh, the captivity. Uh, It wasn't the fall of Jerusalem hadn't happened yet. But the king of Babylon took Jewish people out of the land in three different waves. The first wave, he took the noble children as sort of, you know, a way to say, if you attack us, remember, we've got your kids type thing. They were hostages. Daniel was amongst that group. Then a few years later, he took uh, the craftsmen, uh, the the workers of the land, the people that knew how to build, to to farm, to do all kinds of things. And Ezekiel the prophet was taken with that group. Um, So he's he's in a a captive situation. He's not in, in, in the land of Israel. Then came certain of the elders of Israel unto me and sat before me. Some of those that had been taken out, they were older people. Uh, they, the Jewish people revealed the elder, uh, revered the elders and so forth. He said, they sat before me and the word of the Lord came unto me. The reason they came to, to Ezekiel is they wanted to hear, does God have a message for us? Uh, they were hoping that Ezekiel was going to tell them, uh, we're going home pretty soon. Yeah, uh, the, the recent war uh, in Israel with Hamas uh, I believe they've released about 50 hostages or so forth. They, I heard a new news broadcast. They're hoping that some more will be released today. Um, and there are still many more kept in somewhere uh, by Hamas. And all of those people are hoping, man, I hope we get to go home soon. 
I hope somebody comes to rescue us. And that's what the, the people in Ezekiel's circumstances, uh, that's why they came to him. And the word of the Lord came unto me, we're in verse 2 saying, Son of man, these men have set up their idols in their heart and put the stumbling block of their iniquity before their face. Should I be inquired of at all by them? He said, these people come and they want to hear from me, at least they claim to, but at the same time in their heart, they don't care about me. They've put, they've put their idols before me. They're, they've got idols at home. Um, and, and when they leave here, they're going to go back to their old ways, but they want me to say something good. They want me to bless them. They pretend they want to hear from God. So those two prophets, Jeremiah and Ezekiel, both dealt with an awful lot of that. Uh, you say, uh, boy, it's a good thing it's not us because we're not like that. Turn, if you would, to Matthew chapter number 6. Matthew 6 is the, uh, the end of the longest sermon in the Bible, the Sermon on the Mount. And the Lord makes an astounding statement to his followers. It wasn't just the 12 disciples. There was a numerous uh, number of followers of Christ gathered that day to hear him teach. Look at verse 24. In fact, let's read it together. Such a good verse. Ready? No man can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. Ye cannot serve God and mammon. Does anybody know what mammon is? Riches. The, the, the prosperity, the, the issues, the, the good things supposedly that the world has. The, the Savior taught his disciples, no man can serve two masters. But we, we try it, don't we? Uh, we try to keep one foot in the world and one foot in the church. It won't work. It won't work. You have to either get in or get out, get off or get on, get up or get down, get hot or get cold, but you can't stay in the middle. It, it isn't going to work. Um, and, and you say, but, but, but uh, you know, it, it, I can control it. Jesus said no man can serve two masters. Can't serve God in pornography. You can't serve God in gossip. You can't serve God and, and hateful thinking, you can't serve God and, and steal. You can't serve God and be a bad testimony at work. You can't serve God and run with the wrong crowd. Jesus said, you can't do it. I can't do it. Uh, you can't because he said, no man. The words no man come from a Greek phrase that means no man. Nobody can do it. Um, so we're going back in Judges 17. That is the situation of Micah's mom. I'm going to take 1,100 shekels of silver. What a, what a great gift. I'm going to, I've dedicated it to the Lord so we can make some idols. And we know the folly of that, but that was the mindset of the day. That's what got them in trouble over and over again in the book of Judges. So uh, she says, now, therefore, I will restore it unto thee. You stole it. Uh, but I dedicated it to the Lord to give to you for the purpose of making these idols. So she gave it back to him. Micah's not paying any price at all. He's a thief. He stole from his own mother. And, um, you know, she's just glossing over that and giving it back. Uh, verse 4, yet he restored the money unto his mother. He said, no, no, you, you, you take it. And his mother took 200 shekels of silver and gave them to the founder, who made thereof a graven image and a molten image, and they were in the house of Micah. Originally, she was going to give the Lord uh, 1,100 shekels of silver, Jehovah, um, and she was going to make these idols. And now she decides to keep 900 for herself. 
Uh, she's rethought things, but she takes 200 uh, shekels of silver, gave them to uh, a man who worked in metals, and he made a graven image and a molten image, and Micah kept them in his house. Um, uh, house gods are often a part of many, many pagan cultures um, and so forth. And by the way, sometimes even in America, there are house gods. Where I lived in Pennsylvania, uh, and I'm not, I'm not making fun of anybody, it was just the reality. A lot of coal mining towns around us, and it wasn't, it wasn't an unusual thing to drive by a house and see that they had an old bathtub upended and half buried in the ground and a statue of Mary in the middle of it. Uh, we're not supposed to have idols. We're, it, it's, it's condemned according to the Bible. Um, so, you know, Mike has got this now. So he's a thief, and now we've, we know that he's, he's got all of that. But verse 5, and the man Micah had an house of gods. Think about that. He turned his, he turned his home into a, a pagan temple, if you will. He had a house of gods. There was a belief in, in ancient times that would include the book of Judges that uh, the more gods you served, the safer you were. Nebuchadnezzar, for example... He conquered the entire civilized world in his lifetime, one of, the, one of the great empires of ancient times. Nebuchadnezzar had a, uh, had a policy that whenever he conquered uh, a city or, or a nation, he would go to their temples and ransack them, take all the gold and silver uh, that people had given. He would also take whatever they worshipped. Uh, the Philistines worshipped Dagon that was half uh, fish and half man in Egypt, they worshiped a God that was half fly and half human, uh, that type of thing. Uh, he would take their, their idols out of their temples and he took them back to Babylon, to his capital city, where he had what we would call a museum. And the only thing that was in there were the gods of the peoples and the nations that he conquered. Part of it was his saying, my gods are better than your gods but saying, I have your gods now, you don't have them, I have control over you. That was the mindset of a pagan world. Um, so here's this guy, Micah, he's, he's a Jewish man, okay, from Mount Ephraim, um, and he's got a house of gods. They're living in, an, in, a, in a world where, or in a, in a country where they didn't kick out all the Canaanites, uh, as they were supposed to. So those Canaanites worshipped a lot of false gods, Baal being one of the predominant ones. And Micah's collecting them uh, just in case one of them is the real God. And none of them were because God's not found in an idol. God is a spirit. They that worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. So this guy, Michael, he's not only a thief, he is an idolater in a way that, that, that almost boggles the mind. Um, again, verse 5, the man Micah had an house of gods and made an ephod. An ephod was a robe uh, that the priest would wear, uh, usually as ornate as they could make it uh, and so forth. So he had an ephod and teraphim. Teraphim were like clay idols uh, and so forth that he had. Sometimes they were for sale. Instead of if you, you would get a silver or gold when you just get this little clay uh, type thing. And consecrated one of his sons who became his priest. So we got a mom who's trying to worship both Jehovah and other gods. And we've got a son who is just worshiping other gods. 
Jehovah's not in the picture at all. And we've got a third generation now that is a priest to all of these false gods. Study the subject of generations in the Bible. Judges begins with the topic of, of one generation uh, that fought and then the generation that followed them and the generation that followed them. In the book of Psalms, a number of times, you, you'll read about the generation to come and the importance of the generation to come knowing the Lord and the mighty works of God passing our faith on. Uh, this mom failed miserably, did she not? Uh, anytime we try to mix the world with Christ, it's, it's not going to work. It's not going to work. Keep your place here. Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 6. 2 Corinthians chapter 6. Look, if you would please, starting in verse number 14, Paul's writing to a, the church of Corinth that was in a city filled with idolatry. Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? What's the question to that? Or the answer to that question? None. Okay. What communion hath light with darkness? Answer? None. What agreement hath the temple of God with idols? The answer? None. For ye are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk in them and I will be their God and they shall be my people. Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing. And I will receive you, and will be a father unto you, and ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. Um, there's a warning to a New Testament church, because, and the reason is, no man can serve two masters. Do you think the Lord would be all right if uh, we removed this little plant from under the grand piano and uh, set up a little statue of Buddha with a little bowl there to receive gifts for him? Do you think the Lord would be pleased with that? Would that belong in God's house? Yes or no? No. Um, we need to understand it's not just true of the building, which First uh, Timothy 3.15, this building uh, is called the house of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. But uh, we ourselves are the temple of the living God. Are we not? First Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19. Um, so I'm supposed to make sure that I'm not linking up with that which is against the Lord. I'm not supposed to do that in, in any way. Uh, I grew up in an unsaved home. And uh, we would sometimes on Saturday night, we would watch a show called Hee Haw. Anybody else want to confess that you watched that when you were younger? Now, we weren't saved. We didn't know anything about it. Um, it, it I'm not going to suggest that you watch any reruns, but if you do, you will find out that show was loaded with dirty innuendo, with women that were dressed like harlots uh, and all of that. But no matter no matter how they talk, no, no matter the suggestive content uh, of all the so-called humor in that show, they always ended singing some gospel song. Like that made it okay. Um, that, that's, that's like adding God onto to sin and saying, there, we put God in it, we're, so we're okay. That's what Micah and his mother and now his son are doing. That's what Jesus said no man can do. And, and, and succeed, no man can serve two masters. Uh, either we're all for God or we're not uh, for God. Um, and, and we're to be unequally yoked. Go back to chapter 17. So you've got this man. Uh, and notice in verse 6, here is the pronouncement. You might want to highlight or underline this in your Bible. 
This is, this is part of the theme of the book of Judges, and it will carry on into the book of Samuel. Uh, Judges 17, 6, in those days, there was no king in Israel. Um, they, didn't have a, they didn't have an earthly king enforcing the laws and making sure that the people did right. They would later clamor for a king. We'll get to that in just a few weeks hence. Uh, and, and God would give them a king named Saul, and Saul would fail, and then God would give them a king named David, uh, and, and many kings after that. And the, the job of the king was to keep the people safe and protected, but to keep them right with God. They had no king. They had nobody telling them what to do. It's sad that we have to often have somebody telling us what do we, to do before we'll do it. They have to be looking over our shoulder. Uh, it, it's sad. It's not just kids that have that issue. Uh, it, it's uh, grown-ups as well. Um, they had no king in Israel, but notice verse 6, but every man did that which was wrong in his own eyes. Oh, Mrs. Mrs. Reamers caught me real fast and made a face at me, right? And Because and, I read it wrong, but every man did that which was right in his own eyes. Um. I don't see anything wrong with that. It's not that bad. It's not as bad as what so-and-so is doing. Um, So we we justify all kinds of things. They're doing that which was right in their own eyes. The problem was, um, you and I are not the arbiters of what is right and wrong. The Word of God is. The Word of God is. Keep your place here and turn to Psalm 19. And may I say this during the time of the judges, they had the word of God. They didn't have as much as we do, but they had the the law of God that told them what was right, what was wrong about about morality, about uh, faith and and religion and and, uh, all of those things. Look in Psalm 19, very famous passage. It's the first scripture song that I ever learned uh, the very year that I got saved. Verse 7, the law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. It changes us from the inside out. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. If you don't know the answer, the word of God does. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. Notice verse 9, the judgments of the Lord are true, righteous altogether. That word judgment means God's verdict about something. So if God passes the verdict and said this is wrong, then it's wrong because his judgments are true and righteous altogether. Uh, There's no middle ground. There's no gray zone involved in that. Uh, If God says this is a commandment to do, then then that's a judgment that God has made and that's what we're to do. In the, in the, the era of the judges, that's not how they operated. They weren't letting the word of God tell them right from wrong. They were letting themselves decide that. Well, we're not as bad as, as the pagans, but you're worshiping their, their, their gods uh, and trying to pretend that you're still the people of God. Uh, well, well, we're not as bad as other people. Well, well, I don't see anything wrong with that. And it just led them from one issue to another. And we do the same thing. We do the same thing. We, we won't admit it. We don't like to admit it. But every one of us knows that, that we have justified something in our own lives that the Bible says clearly is wrong, but we justified it and said, I know the Bible says, but. And uh, you understand, 
that we're following in the footsteps of the wrong people. That, that's how you end up in the cycle of the judges in your own life. And there are a lot of modern-day Christians that really are following that. They, they, uh, they, they walk with God for a while, and then they, they just decide they, they don't need him anymore, and they, they get distracted or tempted by something, and they go out, do their own thing, and calamity comes into their life, and all of a sudden they're back in church, and they're seeking God, and God helps them, and God's merciful to them. And by the way, praise the Lord that he is good, and his mercy endures forever. And then, then God helps them, and their situation gets better, and they're out the door. I don't need God anymore. And uh, it's not long they'll be back. It's that, that awful cycle. You know, you don't get anywhere going in a circle. Did you know that? You just don't get anywhere going in a circle. Somewhere along the line, you just got to break out of that and say, I'm going forward with God. And in the book of Judges, it just never seemed to happen. They had periods, decades would go by, and it looked like they were doing all right. And then all of a sudden, they didn't have anybody on, uh, on top of them, ruling them, no judge, and they're back into their sins. So we, got, we were introduced to this man, Micah. He's going to be very crucial into the events that follow. And if you think this part of this text is bad, it gets worse. It, it gets worse. Think Sodom and Gomorrah worse. Um, sin never stays in one place. Sin always grows. Uh, sin always, one sin always leads to another sin. Once you open that door, it, it's just, it just keeps coming in, and you're going to see it as this story unfolds. We need to stop there. It is 1045. Uh, let's pray together.